bringing their problems to me for as long as I can remember. I have one of those faces that just says, tell me what's going on. And now I have one of those podcasts that says, go ahead, tell me what's going on. Welcome to Mess in Progress. Hey guys, and welcome to a Mess in Progress. Extra, 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 extra. See how I did that? I'm so talented. <laughs> it's me, Gina, and of course, my lovely co-host slash everything person, Catherine G. Mendoza. <laughs> Hi to the people. Hello, people. I feel like I should hold the mic up. Just, just to you know what you remind me of when you do that, Angie Martinez. Like I feel like whenever I see an Angie Martinez clip, she has the mic like right by her right face. Here, yeah. Oh my God, that's such a compliment. I feel like for New Yorkers or just anybody who understands hip hop culture, Angie Martinez is well, a compliment. Dope. Yeah, she's dope. Angie Martinez is dope. That's a, that's to the universe. That's a dream guest. Yes, dream guest. We're yeah. sending that out. We're sending the vibes out to Angie Martinez to come on the show. Because I think her personality is great, too. Like, she's one of those people that, like, when I watch her, I'm like, yo, she looks like a person I would vibe out with. Yeah, she looks like somebody who would be, like, somebody, like a really cool cousin. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like you're like, yo, my cousin Angie. Oh, you never met my cousin Angie. You're going to love she's crazy, yo. She's dumb funny, though. Yeah. She knows everything about hip-hop, yo. Everything. She's that cousin. Like, I want to be... Oh, my goodness. I feel like we would talk with her about hip-hop and the history of hip-hop, and we could, we could do a whole episode just on that. Like, that would yeah. be fun. So if we ever get her, like I have actually, I have her book, it's called My Voice, but I never, I started it and then I think I got really busy at work so I never finished it. Mm. But I feel like if I got, if I got a chance to like talk to her, I would want to read it because I like the idea of like learning something and then meeting oh, yeah. someone. And being able to talk to her about the book and, and you know. I love that stuff too. Like, especially if I'm really into a book, like, oh my God, we got to bring on some of our favorite authors. Like, Man. we should really, that's what we should send out to the universe too. Like, we should get a Ryan Holiday since we read the Stillness book and like bring him on, like send that out to the universe, everybody. Oh my God. I feel like if we did do, because I feel like you and I have a, a, a way of buy, buying books for healing purposes. Yes. So, you know, like, um, uh, what is the name of that lady? Um, Jen something. You are a badass. Is that book? Yes, yes. Jen Sincero or yes. Sincero or something like that. But I have her book on uh, uh, you're a badass, and then you're a badass with money is also another another book of hers I have, and I love them both. She's just so I love like real people yeah. that like don't coddle. They just kind of tell you like how it is, and yeah. she's very much talks about life and money in that way where it's like look it's simply just like this right right like this is what i've learned um yeah. take it or leave it that's it and it's like you don't have to agree with me you can put this book down you can walk away like there's no harm no foul this is what i've learned in my life right and you know that book actually for me on um, the original um you are a badass mm -hmm. um i read the first few chapters a few years ago when i first bought it and then i put it down and never picked it back up and then i started reading again few years later but either way I noticed that you may not be ready for it the minute you bought it but it's there and I for some reason feel like sometimes I buy books and that book in particular that I'm like when I finally did read it I was ready then but I was happy that it like was there and it existed you know what I mean yeah. um I think people feel the pressure of like I bought it I need to read it right now but books can have different messages every single time. Oh, yeah. Anytime I buy a book, first of all, like Barnes & Noble is one of my happy places. I will go there and I will look at books and I'll find funny books that I love and I'll wait till the book speaks to me. 
and then I'll pick it up. And then I do have, um, I'm like a little kid when I get something new. I'm like, I gotta start reading this book now. I gotta start doing this. Like if I, if I get anything new, yeah. I, even, even if it's groceries, if I buy groceries and I'm like, ooh, what did I get today? I'm gonna make all yeah. of this for dinner. Like I get so excited with new stuff. So when I get a new book, I am that person that has like a boner immediately to read that book where I'm like, this is the one I'm gonna start with. And then I'm gonna read this one. And then I'm gonna read this one. <laughs> so the next one for me is an audio book, which I'm not great with audio books. I have a lot of them because I just love books. But I have a lot of audiobooks, and um, it's the 50 Cent audiobook that just came out not too long ago. Jane shared it with me, and from what I understand, it's super insightful, and so I can't wait to start that. That's going to be my next thing. Okay, well, let me know how you feel about that. I, I feel like audiobooks books are hit and miss for me, because like it really depends on who's reading the book, because if your voice pisses me off, or if you have a boring voice, or if you have like, or if you're somebody that I love, like I have the Eddie Izzard book, the whole yeah. time I'm just listening to it like a doofus, I'm just like, uh, 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 it's Eddie Izzard's voice. <laughs> you see, that's what I mean. I feel like, for instance, okay, so for instance, someone like Angie should be doing her audiobook. Yeah. Right? And if it's not Angie Martinez, then I think it should be a New Yorker. So that you, you don't get an exaggerated accent, but you, I, I still want the flavor of it. But I don't want to get lost in the voice. I still want to hear the book. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I think it's important that, like, the author of the book voice the audiobook. Um, I know that that's normally how it goes, but every now and then you'll have a book that's voiced by somebody else, and it just doesn't seem to connect. My thing with audiobooks is I need a physical book. Like, yeah. I highlight my books. I put notes in my books. Like, my books are personal. I don't give my books to no one. I don't share my books. So if I ever shared a book with you, you mad special. <laughs> I don't give my books to nobody. And so like, if I have a physical copy of a book, I feel like it, sit, it just sinks in more. Okay. In the audio book. That makes total sense. I can't like audio books. I, I have a question for you. In yeah. your, and maybe this is not a good question right now, but in your like area, is there a book visible and what's the name? Oh, goodness gracious. My my son's books are <laughs> in the immediate area. Which one do you see? Just pick one. Um, I'm trying to say if I, I have my glasses on. <laughs> I have a book specially made for my husband. With, um, with the baby's name. And it says, um, Jaden, I will always love you. And it's a series of stories with my husband's name or with the, with the baby's name. And um, I got to pick out like... The illustration so I made the main character look like my husband I made you know the little boy look like what I hope my son will look like you know what I mean yeah and so that book I can see from here because it's in a special box so I know that book when I see it ah yeah so I had that made because I'm mad soft yo nah I totally get that like I feel like and that's stuff I would probably do myself oh excuse me that's burp. I feel like um you you want those things because those things are keepsakes so like you're not going to keep them but he's going to keep them you know so as he gets older it is something that's like from before you were born this is you know what i mean like i think that's, that's sweet. one of those things like I, I think about that a lot too like how he's going to feel about because i'm right i write notes to him like i write in my i have a book that i've written since i found out i was pregnant that i've written in um not every day at first it was like every day and then once the pandemic hit it was like weeks of me dealing with other stuff so i would write in it when i would remember but 
he has a little dear baby book where I'm Aww. writing to him how I feel about being a mom at each stage of my pregnancy. Aww. And because I'm mad soft, son. Yo, I'm mad soft, son. Here's the thing. I, there's the side of me that's super like, oh my God, that's like so nice that he gets to keep that. And then there's the other side of me that goes, that would make for a great book deal. Yeah, it would, right? Oh my God, it would. Let's just put a pin in that. Let's <laughs> put a pin in that because that could be my book. One of the books that I put out in the future could be a, a Dear Baby I'm book. A, I'm like a, a Dear Baby, but like if you made it really, and not even his book, just a book like that, where it's more like, you know, those write-in books? Yep. You know, yep. like this where people can- your first pregnancy. Like it's my first pregnancy. I wanted to, you know, record- how I was feeling and especially yeah. for him because you don't always get to share these thoughts. Yeah. When he gets older, you know, hopefully we'll be very close. I don't know if he's going to be a little douchebag, but hopefully he won't be and we'll be close and I'll be able to tell him stories and I'll be able <laughs> to show him some of these and decipher my serial killer handwriting for him. Hold on. So if he's a douchebag, are you just not going to give them? Oh, no, no. Nah. If he's a douchebag, <laughs> he don't get to read those. I'll be like, nah, son, should have been nicer to me. You don't I call them stories up. I set that book on fire, son. In front of him, douchebag. <laughs> I just light the book right on fire. Walking wilding out on me at like fourteen. I'm like, I should have known. <laughs> Ugh, but I can't even think of teenage years. Ugh. I think about them and I panic. Where I'm like, yo, what? What if he like? Cause. I totally understand this. Ida Rodriguez says this in her act, and I have so, so much better understanding of it right now, too, where she talks about being disrespected by her kids. And she's like, until you've been, like, disrespected by something that came out of you, you do not understand disrespect. Like, you came out of me. Right. I will murder you <laughs> for disrespecting me, son. Like... I totally get why moms, when you see parents, you see moms getting way more mad than dads. Then you yeah. see mom like wilding out. She's ready to snap. And right. uh, all my, like I've talked to some people, also my married friends, and they're like, yeah, she always looks like she's about to like kill them. Because it's like, how dare you? After what I went through. You see, okay, okay, okay. This is a good, this is an interesting topic. As yeah. a, as a non-mother, but as an adult living with a parent, right? Yeah. So this is my question. Now that you're kind of like on the on the cusp, yeah, right. Um, respect and parenting. Mm -hmm. Growing up in a culture where respect your elders and always respect your parents is a saying, right? Mm -hmm. So, what does that look like when you become an adult and the fact that? Some parents are disrespectful, and I feel like parents are human beings, and parents can be disrespectful. So do, what's your opinion about respect and parenting? Do you still always have to respect a parent who doesn't respect you? Yeah, I think the thing is, like, my logical brain is like, no, if somebody disrespects you, like, sometimes you got to check your parents a little something, something. <laughs> But as somebody who's going to be a parent, I'm like, I wish he would try <laughs> to check me, son. Try to check me. But if I'm being disrespectful, if I'm being fair, because it's something I'm trying to work on as a person, yeah. like I, I have a habit. Like I'm terrible, terrible, terrible at apologizing. Ter terrible. I'm terrible. <laughs> honest. I know I am. It's something that I'm trying to work on. So if, if me and my son were going through a thing as adults, 
where I know I was wrong, depending on how much work I've done on that whole thing. Like I should know as a person who's worked on herself, okay, you're wallet. Like, I think the difference is generational too. Like I've spent a lot of time working on myself versus like our parents who don't do a lot of introspective, like self searching and they don't try to be self-aware because they come from a generation of people that are trying to survive. I'm right. trying to survive. I'm trying to make sure my kids survive. So I have no time to sit down and figure out who I am as a person. I got time to work, to feed my kids, and then get up and do it all again the next day. Right, right. I think that for me, it's funny because I had this conversation recently with my mother, right? And we were talking about respect and how um, I considered it like a, a tree. Right. I said, if I was to actually, if I was to actually draw it out, I'm going to like draw it while we're on the phone. I mean, on the phone, what, what? on the zoom phone, on the zoom phone. Okay. So I, I go, imagine this is not a tree. So let's say an umbrella, mm-hmm. right. An umbrella. Can you see that? No, it's no. very yellow. Okay. Now I can. It looks like okay. a key. So I go up here. Mm-hmm. I connected respecting your elders to the patriarchy. And I said, up here is the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. I go, down here is a mother. Mm-hmm. I go, down here is her kid. But once her kid becomes an adult, you would assume that the kid should be there. Mm-hmm. But in our culture, the kid is always down here, regardless if they're a parent, regardless if they're an adult. And I go, why do you think that is? And she goes, because you always have to respect your parents no matter what. And I go, is it possible that this is a power thing? Because, again, this is the top. So they feel, you, you feel powerless compared to that. Mm-hmm. But you always feel powerful compared mm-hmm. to this. Yeah, of course. And I go, I'm not saying there's something wrong with respecting your parents. I'm saying that, how do I? How do you teach a child to demand respect, give respect, but then there's kind of loose ends on what respect looks like with the elder from your end, yeah, from your end. You're an example of respect, and yet when you grow up, God forbid you were to mouth off or say anything. Because I'm still like that with my parents. I'm not going to lie. I don't like getting into arguments with my parents. I don't like trying to sun my parents. They're 80. Right. No need for me to try to sun my parents. But if I have a chance to teach them something new, I try to teach them and remember these people sacrificed a lot of stuff. I wasn't, I didn't see every sacrifice they made. I didn't see every pain or hurt they endured trying to raise five kids in different decades. Yeah, and circumstances. And so I always keep that in mind. But there's times when it's like my dad will say something ignorant. Or I'll be talking to my mom and I'll see my mom as a woman and not just as a mother. And I'm like, oh, she's got insecurities. She's got things that she's been through. And looking through it through that filter, I sort of handle it like I would with any person I don't know. Meaning I handle it with a a gentleness of like, I'm not trying to hurt you or sun you, but if you're disrespecting me, Maybe you don't realize I'm taking it as disrespect. Right. 
And so if you don't realize that, then let me talk to you like somebody who doesn't realize that I'm taking this as disrespect. What if try to be soft. What if they, ref once you've explained it, once you've put it on the table, what if they refuse to acknowledge it and then continue the behavior, but the behavior is detrimental to you? Well, that requires a conversation. This was something I remember talking to um, my husband about when it comes to communicating issues you have with your parents. I'm like, that's when you got to draw a line in the sand and you kind of got to go, look, Boundaries? we can continue having this conversation the same way, but I'm feeling like you're not listening to me. So us having this conversation isn't going anywhere. So I say we squash this never bring it up again because you're not listening to me. So we can either squash this or you can just never see me. So that's your call. You can just choose to not see your child because you don't want to let this go. And that's a line in the sand that you draw where it's like, I'm letting you know you have reached my boiling point. See, that's the thing I think, and I can't speak for any other cultures. I can only speak within Latinidad. Um, I don't feel like boundaries is something that is taught. We do not respect boundaries. No, 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 no. no. Well, the boundaries for us as kids. Right. There's no boundaries for parents. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, because bound kids have to, again, respect your elders, right? So, but then as you get older, you're not really allowed to have your own boundaries with them. Because my, I, I'll give you a good example. Stupidest example, but it's one. Um... <laughs> I, we had had some cherries in my house and it comes down to food. It always comes down to food. My, I, I go get the bowl of cherries. It's probably the end of the cherries, right? Uh, I mean, it is the end of the cherries. And my mother has been, it's been there. It's open to all of us, right? So I go, I'm cleaning them. She grabs into my bowl and grabs some cherries. I don't say anything. I just keep cleaning them and I'm about to leave. I don't say anything because whatever, right? Yeah. But as I'm about to leave, she goes, let me get another cherry. So <laughs> now here's the thing. I'm not, it's not about greedy. It's yeah. about, I want to enjoy my 10 cherries. I, yeah. I, came, I came out to get a cherry, right? But I'm not trying to be rude to you. I said, no, you just had some, right? Now, I've had multiple people have different agreements, I mean, different opinions on this. Some people just go, she's your mother, just give it to her, right? I go, I get that, but why am I not allowed to say no? See, because the minute I said no, she said I was stingy, I was mesquina, she, gave, she threw all the words, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was just like, okay, and I walked away, because you just typed that, you just took a hair full of cherries and now you want more cherries you want more of my cherries like people don't understand especially when it comes to stuff like that it's not about you're greedy it's not about you being stingy it's about common courtesy and respect where it's like you act like you don't have to show me respect because we're related because i'm your child i have this right. i've had this discussion before with my husband about like common courtesy because it happens with a lot of married couples too where it's like you know, sometimes he'll just open a drawer of mine, like go in the drawer. Or sometimes I'll be doing something and he'll move my stuff without asking me. And I'm like, it's about 
being courteous to somebody and being respectful of their things. It's not about, I don't trust you. It's not about, I'm hiding something. It's not about, I'm trying to be stingy. I'm trying to be greedy. It's about, why don't you respect me as another human being? The respect you would show to a stranger, yep. you don't even show to me. Right. So it's funny because probably later on that evening, she's still like, meh, angry. I could tell in her, in her vibe. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know what we get into a conversation. I'm like, yo, what's up? And she goes, I would never do that to my mother. <laughs> so another conversation for another day is Latino guilt. Whole different other thing. I go, and what is that? And she said, you, you know, I would never be stingy with my mother. If my mother wants it, I would give it to her. And I go, you know what I find interesting? How you raised us and you were raised in a culture where you, in, you tell us to enforce no's with the world, but I cannot say no to you. And I go, I feel like in Latino culture, parents almost put themselves as a, at a hierarchy of like ownership. I think it depends too, because I feel like it depends because my my parents are second generation, so they're not so much like that. Right. Um, I'm the one that puts my parents on a pedestal. Like they haven't done it to themselves, but I do it just because I've been trained to think that way. And I know that it's part of my conditioning to do that, but it's natural for me to be like, oh, I would never mouth off to my mom. I would never deny my mom. I would never do this, I would never do that. But my mom also has never taken the liberties of something like my mother would never reach into my food and take it. However, if I wanted food from her plate, I could reach over and take it no problem. Right. But she would never do that to me. So I think the difference is you've probably been dealing with this behavior for a while. Right. And it seems like your mom has herself on a pedestal, which is a lot of Latino parents do they do that. Like yeah. I'm it's almost like biblically like i'm the king and your mom's the queen and you guys we, we go back to the umbrella because yep. i also said take the word patriarchy out off the top of the umbrella and add the word religion add the word church at the church right i go i remember when i was little one of the one thing i got in really big trouble for was one time my mom i said to my mom and people thought i was mouthing off i'm just a very opinionated person and i think yeah. it's because i was raised in this country in the united states of america and was and like i told my mother we are from different cultures like yeah. innately being raised here sorry for the siren hold hold for siren. That you i thought that was me i was like why are you apologizing for my siren because the siren came by earlier when i was trying to film a self-tape audition <laughs> and i was dumb tight i was like yo save somebody in silence son <laughs> um, <laughs> so so um yeah, so I, I remember saying to her, um, I don't know why I said it, I don't remember the context, but I, I'll never forget the phrase. I said to her, you are my parent, 100%, and you deserve respect because you are a good mother, 100%, but you are not my God. Mm -hmm. And my sisters at the time, I was younger, my sisters were like, <gasps> and I go, what did I say wrong? She's not like, yeah. I don't worship her. I shouldn't have to worship her. She is but another human being who can be right and who can be wrong. Yeah. 
What she does deserve is my respect of the fact that, like we said, we don't actually meet our parents until we're born, but they had a whole life before us. We don't know, we don't know that part. We should be grateful that they weren't terrible people because some people have terrible people as parents. But that doesn't mean I owe you this, I, like, um, this, this pedestal of perfection. Yeah. That's what I mean. And that's why I say my God. Because you know how they say God can do no wrong? Okay, cool. If, so if that's, idea, that, is, that is the idea of a lot of Latino parents, too, is that like, they're infallible even when they have messed up. Right. I, I think I lucked out because my parents were, they're very humble. And I think they were always very aware of the fact that they're human and they make mistakes. Like anytime I talk to my, my dad, I remember having a conversation with him with something about finances and something they had to do when we were younger. And he was like, you know, we had to cash in uh, like a life insurance or something like that, which a lot of people have to do to pay bills. They end up getting life insurance, cashing it in, paying their bills and having to buy new life insurance and stuff like that. And my dad was so apologetic. He was like, I'm so sorry that we had to do that. And I was like, dad, you literally did the right thing. You needed the money. That was where you got the money. You had five kids to support. Like, I haven't been through the same thing because I do feel like, and but it's also me and my twin sister, we were the last two. So with every kid, it's going to be different. You know what I mean? Like with every kid, there was probably with my brother, there was probably, a, you know, a part uh, with my eldest brother where, yeah, they were expecting him to praise them. Like, yeah, we are, we're giving all this up for you. Like, there's so much we're sacrificing for you. It's so interesting because, okay, so two things. Like you said, your parents were raised here, right? So technically, they are of a closer culture mm-hmm. to you and I or yeah. myself in comparison to my mother. So it could just be from being from another country, another culture. And that's why I try to be more understanding. But it is very confusing to be raised. Like I say, the difference between the culture you learn in your house when you come from immigrant parents and then the one you learn in the street, yeah. right? And in the world. And, um, but it begs this question and this, just this thought of, um, shoot, you were, you, what? Oh, um, the things we sacrifice. Cause me and my sister talked about this when she had her child. And cause my sister said the same thing, right? And I go, I guess I'm playing devil's advocate, but I go, not to be rude, that's a choice. You made a choice. You're blaming your child for the rest of their life. You're guilting them for a choice you made. You know what I mean? Like when it's like, I sacrificed this and I don't know why my brain goes into, but that child didn't choose to be born. Yeah, but I think the idea behind it is that they made the choice to make the sacrifice. It was like we made the choice knowing there would be sacrifices that would have to be made. And regardless, we loved you enough that we were like, these sacrifices will be worth it. Whether they don't throw it in their face. Like you didn't, you- Well, that's <laughs> where I feel like a lot of parents are wrong, where it's like, no, you don't throw that in a kid's face. Like if you raise your kid well enough, you, don't, you never have to throw that in their face. Because it's like, they already know. Like I've been very aware of all my parents have sacrificed for me. They have never had to remind me of that because I was very aware of it. I'm like, I see you working three, four, five jobs. I don't know what your dreams were before you had kids that maybe you wanted to be a writer or a pilot or whatever. And then you put everything on hold to raise a family. Like 
you know, getting into those conversations with your parents when you're older, I feel like is really beneficial and learning the person behind the parent. We just see that as a person, but it's like, no, this was a human being who had a life, who had dreams, who had goals. Even if those goals were to be a parent, we don't know what else was in the plan that just didn't work out. And we're all human. So we're all fallible. We are all, we're all flawed. We all suffer from the human condition. We all have our frustrations. We all have our, and when you start to look at your parents like that, you go, oh, you see the person and you go, oh, you connect as a person. I think you and your mom are on that cusp of connecting as people. Oh yeah. I mean, well, that's a whole different other conversation, but I feel like for me, it's more about like, um, as you get, as you become more conscious and an adult and hopefully you're doing work on yourself and whatever your situation is, you see that and you get closer to that. The thing is, I guess my thing is more raising children with this idea of what I sacrificed for you is, is not okay with me. And it goes into what we talked about the, um, you know, I, I, I showed you that meme about normalizing, apologizing to children. And it's this idea that like, I don't think you should teach, you should treat children like adults when they're children. Yeah. But I do think that they don't become human beings when they become adults. They're human beings from when they're children. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's about the- how you talk to them. Because I think having a dialogue with a kid and being like, I was, you know, talking to Jeremy about it the other day about, you know, if you end up doing something hypocritical in front of your kid, like if you're telling your kid to clean his room and your room's a hot mess and the kid goes, well, how come mommy and daddy's room doesn't have to be clean? Instead of what we would traditionally brought up with, which is, mind your business, because I said so, blah, blah, blah. You go, okay, you know what, Jaden? You made a good point. Mommy needs to be better with that. Daddy needs to be better with that. So while you clean your room, we're going to clean our room. Right. And you make sure to show him, like, you know what? You were correct in calling us out. You weren't wrong. Just because it may have gotten me mad, maybe got me butthurt because you don't know that I have a job and all this other stuff and that makes it hard for me meanwhile you in your room all day with it messy that's always where the parent goes where it's like yeah i'm gonna yell at you because you're in your room all day but if you're being a hypocrite that you're showing your kid hypocrisy if you're telling him to do one thing that you don't do and if he corrects you and you get mad at him then you're teaching him to silence his voice in those situations where he sees something wrong right huge because the thing is that and especially with little girls for instance yeah so then that little girl goes into the world and has somebody else who looks at them and goes, I'm your authority figure. So I, I can um, do as I say, not as I do. Mm-hmm. And because that was what they were taught at home, it almost feels natural. But I feel like if you're not taught that at home, you question it more. You go, no, no, no. Even in a work environment or in a relationship, no, no, no. Because my parents... Um, didn't didn't do that hypocrisy, right? My parents taught taught me that like, I had to do things because it was the right thing or because, you know what I mean? It was mutual. I do think, um, so with that meme, it's the normalized um, apologizing to children. I need to normalize apologizing to everybody. (laughs) I will, I'm so bad at apologizing. Like my husband knows this, like, I'll have moments where I will completely spaz out and I know I owe him an apology and it will take me forever. 
And I'll usually sit down with a stank face and be like, I'm sorry. Because, you know, I have a little issue with that in my pride, saying sorry to somebody. Because half of my apologies are like, I'm sorry you mass off. I'm sorry you too sensitive. I'm sorry you can't handle the truth. Like, it's like, no, just say you're sorry. Just say sorry. Just apologize. Yeah, apologize, but apologize not for how they, like, I hate when people say, I'm sorry you felt Yes, well, I'm sorry you took it the wrong way. It's like, no, just say, I'm sorry. Or don't say I'm sorry, because maybe you're not ready to acknowledge it. If you're gonna say sorry, if you're gonna say sorry in a condescending way, don't bother giving an apology. Like, learn how to say sorry. When it comes to kids, like, again, it goes back to I feel like the issue of hypocrisy. Like, if your if your kid sees you doing something and they call you out on it, right? What the environment that a lot of us grew up in, whether you're a person of color, where you grew up in the hood or whatever, is the second you call your parents out on something like that, or it's the second you ask too many questions, it's like, yo, why you ask so many damn questions? So why don't you just shut up, yo? Why yeah. don't you teach kids to be silent? We do. We can't teach them to be silent because then they grow up to be those adults that are, that are just walked all over. That or are angry. Yeah, or, or angry. Secretly, secret anger issues because they have to push everything they feel down. Yep. And yep. you don't want to do that. I feel like... um. So I, I, I don't only feel this way about sorry, right? I also feel this way about um, manners. So um, in my former relationship, and this, this is no shade to, the, to that person's parenting. I also realized that parents go through journeys themselves and mm-hmm. you know um, nobody should tell you how to parent. But uh, I can't help but notice things, especially things that I feel like were very unjust as I was growing up. And I don't, and I don't, I've never been around a parent who like maliciously does not care about respecting their child. They just are, they kind of are just conditioned to do what they were taught. Um, So in that situation, I remember a big thing was manners. It was please and thank you. And I would constantly get into this, like, until the point where like, he would almost get annoyed with me. And I guess I was overstepping, but he would say something like, um, so-and-so, go get me a glass of water. And I would whisper, please. Because here's the thing. You are a grown man. That is a little girl. And even if it was a little boy, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You want her or him to respect people in the world, but you don't even say please? Please. So you to say please or to, or, and also to learn. Thank you. I'm, it's all in the same thing. Thank you. And also that somebody's not your servant. Just because they're your child. And yeah. that's exactly what it was. And he would get more annoyed because of how much I was so blatantly aware of it. The other day, I, and again, it's not purposeful. I've noticed that with parents is not purposeful because you spend 24 hours with your child and children are children. And I get that. The other day, my, I'm with my sister and my sister is, uh, my, my niece is being a four-year-old and she's, we're talking. And my niece stands in front of us, like doing one of those, like, you know, pay attention, but like not looking at either of us. She's just standing in front of us purposely. And my sister goes, um, hey, girl, move, right? But like, there's not, it's not rude. She's yeah. not being rude to her. She's like, move. And my niece does not move. And she says it again, does not move. And I go, 
excuse me, can you move? And she moves. Her mother clicks. The excuse me was she was waiting for your politeness because at four years old, she's being taught politeness. And she says, excuse me. And she says, thank you. And she says all of it. Cause the minute I said it, she literally sat like, okay. And I thought to myself, I wasn't trying to like over mother my sister. No, yeah. I just realized, oh, she's conscious of like manners. And she's also conscious of her worth because she knew she was worth an excuse me. Yeah. She's, so, she's also not registering to her that her mom is even serious without prompting it with excuse me or without prompting it with her name and like, can you please, like we're talking, we're having a conversation, which I've seen people do that before where it's like, say, excuse me, say, thank you. We're talking right now. And the kid learns that. And I agree with you completely that you can't, you can't expect a kid to do that, but then you don't show the kid that same respect. You don't say, excuse me, or what would you like? Or can I get that for you for a kid? Like, let them know what courtesy means in an adult form. Yeah. So, like I said, even with the glass of water, going back to that, then the person gets the glass of water. Thank you. Yeah. And this is not only about children. This is also about loved ones and family. We get so comfortable with each other that we forget basic manners. Basic yeah. manners. Yeah. And that's, that's why. Like, so drill into, like, with, with my husband. I'm like, because I see it happen with so many couples. <laughs> where they forget to have manners for each other. Where it's like, yeah, like if I'm like, for example, like what were we talking about earlier? Actually, this is more of an example of like um, some like hypocrisy because I'm, I was, my husband's trying to change his diet. You know, he's trying not to eat as much sugar. Now, recently when I left the doctor's office, because I'm so close to my due date, I was like, I really don't want to get any bigger. So I want to be conscious of my sugar. So I was eating something. I was eating like pancakes in the kitchen and he came over and very politely was like, I don't like, I don't want you to feel like I'm coming at you, but you did say you wanted to watch your sugar and you're eating pancakes. And I was like, I know I'm not going to come at you. I appreciate you looking out because I've done that for you. I could have been like, yo, mind your business. I'm pregnant. Why don't you get up on my face? I'm going to eat these pancakes. And you can go and sit in that room with your no sugar eating self. And you're going to sit over there and not have any opinions. But he was right. Now, yeah. the old me probably would have been like, yo, shut up and get out of here. Like, mind your business. Mind your business, yo. My, this is for me and your kid. But I knew if I did that, then I'm way more at fault than he is. Because he's just trying to look out for me. And a lot of times when we see that, when we see that in a child form, yeah. to ignore it. And again, it goes back to the idea of the umbrella. It goes yeah. back to that idea of like, no, you can't say that because you're disrespecting me if you correct my behavior, if right. you tell me my behavior is wrong. And it's like, no, you're, you're literally teaching this kid stuff that you don't even do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Are you going to teach your kid that stuff and then not expect them to call you out when they're just calling you out out of confusion? Yeah, because they're kids. Because kids literally have no filters and they go, wait a minute, I thought I was supposed to do this. Yeah. Wait and a minute, mommy says I can't curse, but she just used a string of curse words right now. And the thing is that the only reason why as we get older, we stop having the, like we start having the filter is because of multiple things. 
we want to avoid conflict. We know that it's not going to change. It's most, it's those well, the thing is like when, and it was in one of the books I was reading recently, a lot of us go through different states mentally. In the beginning, we start out with a child's mentality, which is I want, I want, I want immediate gratification, immediate, you know, everything, everything we want, especially immediate gratification. It's very I. Yeah, it's very me, 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 me. And then you go through an adolescent stage of mentality, of an emotional mentality is what I'm talking about. Emotional, because when you're in that adolescent state, then you've learned from your child state that if I do this, I get rewarded. So it becomes a reward system of I'm behaving because when I behave, I get what I want. Yeah. Now, hopefully what happens is you make it to an adult emotional growth and emotional mentality where you get to... You just go, oh, I'm a good person because I want to be a good person, not because I get the payoff. You hope that people make that jump. But a lot of people stay in adolescence well into old age. Yeah. Just like, I want the gratification. I want that. I want the reward. That's the only reason I do stuff. Right. And so a lot of times we'll see that in people. And the more you grow emotionally, and this is probably because you've done so much work on yourself, you'll see it in people where you're like, Oh, I see. I see that you haven't gotten to this point yet. So you're still stuck in it. It's almost like two kids trying to communicate sometimes when it's a parent and a child. Yeah. Like they're still in their adolescence talking to somebody who's a child. Right. And so then I, um, then I've been like exploring the theme of ageism in parenting. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I'm somebody who's really big on this. I've never liked the idea that somebody is like, I do think there's something in wisdom, but I don't like the idea in that somebody is right because they are older and they know more and all of that. So I think that in parenting, that's very important. Cause again, in this conversation of the umbrella with my mother, I go, well, using my sister as an example, I go, she's a mother now, right? She's an adult. And she's not a 21-year-old adult. No. She will never be older than you or your age, ever. But she is no longer anywhere near a child. And she has a child. Yeah. I go, I understand that you have wisdom that you have to teach her and you can teach her and you can embark. But that doesn't mean you always know better. And, And I don't like the idea that older people of any age, of any stage, and not only parenting, think that younger people have nothing to teach them. Because the thing is that, I'm sorry, even a 10 year old has gone through things in their little life that I may never have gone through because I don't know their specific circumstance. So maybe they don't know how to process it until they're 25, but they went through something that I didn't probably go go through until I was 25. Does that make sense? Like they, some people go through things earlier I'm saying that I think in the idea of parenting and ageism, um, it's a problem that there is inequality with the parent because of age. Well, like, I don't think it's just in parenting. Well, yeah, that's, I'm just that's thinking a world part. thing. That's a world <laughs> thing of like, you know, older people know more. And I understand where the idea comes from, or it's like, yes, you've had more experiences than me only because you've been on the earth longer. That does not mean, however, that you have made good choices. (laughs) Or that you've gone through everything. Yeah. 
or that you've gone through. You don't you don't know what I've gone through. I've met I've met people that were brilliant. I met 20 year olds that were brilliant. I've met 30 year olds that were brilliant and I've met 40 year olds that are brilliant. I think where the real discrepancy is, is where your priorities lie at that age. You can be a brilliant 20 year old with messed up priorities. And it's like, damn, if you had your priorities straight, you would be a beast in the wisdom game. But because you have messed up priorities, nobody cares what you have to say. If you're if you have your head on right, like you'll hear this about young people too. Like, man, she really got her head on right. Like, you know, this person makes good choices. They're not, their priorities are in the right order. Right. And that's what I think where it comes to older people, they look at younger people, like where are your priorities at? That's what we want to know as older people. Like where, where do your priorities lie? And are they in the right places? That's why I, that's why I bring it back to parenting of all forms. Because again, this could be, being an aunt, this because you can parent in so many ways, right? It comes down to how can you expect somebody to have good pri- uh, the best priorities if you if the the people who are supposed to be teaching them that never truly treat them like equals. So it's always like you're trying to reach towards something, mm-hmm. right? In most circumstances, or never transition out of treating them like a child because in the beginning, no, I cannot treat my son like an equal. You are not, not equal. I am here to protect you because right. we're not equals. Right, because he's, he's a child. Yeah. When you get to that point, and I feel like this happens more in adolescence, which is where the struggle is between parents and, and kids in adolescence, because you, you don't see your child as a cognitive understanding person in adolescence. You still see them as a child. They will be your child forever. And so not not understanding the fact that this kid whether they're in junior high school or high school or whatever is struggling with adult situations like you know um social situations being nervous in social situations the stress of having responsibilities because school is a responsibility you know the stress of also peer pressure where it's like do i want to be the kid that goes out hanging with my friends do i want to be the kid that is always at home like you have to set these things up for your kid and, and then emotions yeah <laughs> and on top of that emotions and hormones and puberty and all that fun stuff that we all go through and we wow. all forget about it the older we get we start to forget about what it was like to be going through puberty and to be hating your body and to feel self-conscious around people that you were attracted to when you're attracted to same sex, opposite sex, whoever you're attracted attraction. to, there's attraction in general makes you nervous because you want to be accepted. You want to be liked. And when we forget about that, there's such a huge disconnect because you can't communicate with somebody because you're not treating them now as a young adult, which is how they should be treated. You should be treated as a young adult at that age. You're still treating them as a child. And that has more to do with, I think, Something I noticed in my parents and some friends of mine with the parental fear of, of letting go. Right. I don't want to let go of my kid. This is my kid. This is my child. This is my baby forever. And you don't want to let that go. But you have to realize that at some point, this kid turns into a grown person. And that goes back to the let go. That goes back to the idea of some people, I'm not saying every parent, yeah. idea of ownership. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that's why I, in recent years, I know a lot of parents that I've met who say, I don't own my child. And that's really important. I've noticed with the ones who do that because they go, um, it allows them to remember the autonomy that the child should have. Yeah. So if I don't own my child, and let's just say my child 
um, behaves in a certain way, and I'm not talking about bad behavior or what's the, what's looked at as bad behavior, but does something in a way that I wouldn't have done it. Yeah, I'm maybe more willing to understand them than to impose whatever I think. Right. So it's like it's so funny because I think of things like um, food. Mm-hmm. You know, we grow up. We we grew up with like a eat was on your plate, eat was made. Right. I think it's very interesting because that's why when you see these memes that are like the best, one of the best things about adulthood is I can eat whatever I want to eat. Yeah. I do, be- I'm like, I, I, can, I can understand why it's so hard for parents because like you want to make sure they get good nutrition. You want to make sure that they're not eating junk. So that's the reason why you do that. But then it becomes um, because I said so. And that fine line of your health and your well-being And because I said so. Because of frustration. Because it's like sometimes you're dealing with little tiny terrorists (laughs) that are not going to listen to you. And you're like, I know like with my older sister, my mom struggled feeding her. She never wanted to eat. And you just get to the point where you're like, you got to eat, stupid. Like, you got to, you're going to die, dummy. You got to have food in your system. And so you just get so frustrated that it becomes this thing of like, all right, well, I'm bigger than you. So uh, we're not going to fight about this. You're going to do what I say because I'm bigger and stronger than you. Um, right. With nobody- everything else happening in life. So yeah. I understand that part. And I also understand not wanting to bargain with your kids all the time. Yeah. When I see parents that do that, I go, oh, you just, you see the kid walking all over them because they're yeah. just like, well, what do you want to do? And how do you, and it's fine that you're like, okay, fine. Don't hit mommy in the face. Don't hit mommy in the face. And it's like, I could totally understand why a parent would not want to be in that situation either. And it's such, that's why I'm so sympathetic and empathetic to a lot of parents as well. Because even before I was pregnant, before I thought about having a kid, I was like, I couldn't imagine, could not imagine being responsible for somebody's life. And then trying to also be this kind, understanding individual that wants them to be their own person, but also has this responsibility towards them where it's like, I wish I could just put you in a bubble until you're like 20 and then finally let you out of the bubble so you could live your life and be safe and you're of a good age and you're fine. And I totally get that. And I had conversations with my husband about how I want my son to know that he is his own person. He doesn't have to be into music. He doesn't have to be into comedy. He can be a biologist if he wants. He can be anything, anyone he wants. She said, he can be boring. (laughs) He can be boring. I'll take all the shine. (laughs) I'm like, if you want to be a doctor, it's okay. Mommy's been on TV. Um, But there's like things that I'm like, I don't want to force him into things. Like there's certain things that I want for him because I believe they set a good foundation of like, respect and 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 everything and so i want him to like take martial arts and i want him to you know be social because i'm not a social person and just because i'm not social doesn't mean i should push that on my kid and be like all right well because i'm not social i'm not doing play dates with you i'm not doing like no i want you to be social go out have fun like but at what point do you realize maybe if he's not social And at what point do you stop? Like, at what point does it become, and now I'm trying to force, you know what I mean? Like, but I do think. I'm not asking, I'm just saying that's something I think of. Like, in my childhood, there are certain things I wish my parents had forced me to do. Right. Because I grow up now and I'm like, oh, I wouldn't have been so self-conscious 
throughout my childhood had you forced me to take a dance class had you forced me to be more social had you kind of forced that on me because as a kid you know i have this memory god knows if it's lord knows if it's a memory or a dream or whatever but in my mind is a memory of my mom walking me into this dance class and i start hysterically crying and she just takes me right out she just lets me leave because i saw all the kids there and i was just like i can't do this there's too many people i don't want to be around people i don't like this at all and i wish she had pushed me a little bit more to stay there and just get used to it and learn to be social instead of being totally okay with pulling me out um but she did what she thought was good was protecting me but she also did what she probably felt herself where she was like it's okay kid i don't like people either let's go if i see that in my son if i see that he seriously has an issue with social anxiety or anything i would probably have to see it on more than one occasion to fully feel it and be like okay well he doesn't want to be here sorry or if he's super shy with everybody i'll respect it you know what i mean and be like he just doesn't like that stuff but i also don't want him to feel isolated it's such a thin it's so it's so crazy the thin line between like over and under parenting yeah no yeah and then also then you think of um parents with multiple kids because like I think of like me and my sister's experience right my sister will tell my older sister will tell you that um she wishes my mother would have pushed her more into like certain things so that she could have explored more of that because my sister was very shy when she was younger right where my mother never did that with me she never pushed me into things but I have always been like my mom will say I've always been an old soul I wish she would have respected my, my nose more. So if I said, I don't want to do this, I realize now why she couldn't. And something I would want to practice with children, which is um, at their ages and the right way, as, as they can, asking them to express themselves. Yeah. So if you're going to give me a no, why? I, I won't force this out of you, but I do need to know, the, like, I, I don't like it. Well, what do you not like? I don't like the people. Got it. I now get, I get what you don't like. But if you just go no without an explanation, you're not even really making them understand. And then if they don't understand, I don't understand. And as a parent, I now have to assume, and I could assume wrong. Yeah. Because you're not even developed enough to fully know the, you know, the feelings. Now, if you have multiple kids, I'm sorry, we don't have enough time in the day to do our job, get get sleep, wash our butt, and then know two different people's personalities, likes and wants and knows. And I get that. I yeah. think that I, but I do think that like that is a part of parenting that's like um overlooked. And how important that becomes is you become an adult because then you yourself don't even evaluate why you can't be in certain situations or why you never try certain things. So you go to therapy and your therapist is like, tell me about your childhood. <laughs> and then you start talking and he's like, uh, you're like I see. <laughs> you're like, I have this memory. Don't know if it was a memory or a dream. Yeah. I, don't <laughs> know, I don't know if any of my memories are real. I may have been kidnapped. This whole thing could be a sham. I have no idea. They're very blurry memories. I don't know if they really exist. And he's like, wait, what? Say that again? <laughs> Yeah, I do think you're right. But I do think, again, I do really believe that it's such a generational thing because 
with each generation, you know, we've explored more about parenting. With each generation, we've explored more about ourselves. And so you'll find more new agey parents, like nowadays, where they do, you know, teach kids things like, you know, your feelings are valid. It's okay to be angry right now. It's in, as opposed to just chalking everything up to a tantrum and being like, sit your little ass down and shut up. They now have kids that can very, be very articulate. Not, not only do they know their emotions, but they can be very articulate in telling you what they like, what they don't like, and what they want to do. Now, now, again, so I've been in this entire time in favor of the kid, right? So now I'm going to switch that up a little bit. Freaking Catherine. Because I don't, I don't know this experience at all. I am, I have been around, like I said, I was with somebody who had children. And all I observed on parenting, I noticed that the, <laughs> the most interesting thing I, I see as a pattern is parents, like, I see myself in, um, this is my child, I brought them into the world, that whole thing. And when they say, you will never know what that is until you have a kid, I do believe that because I do believe that, like, I do believe that you don't have to be somebody's biological parent to bond with them. But I also think that the biological sense kind of does this ninja fuck to your brain that you won't understand unless you had the ninja fuck. You know what I mean? So on the flip side, kids now are very articulate, especially when they are parented in that way. But kids are still underdeveloped human beings which means that they can be very manipulative. So I've seen, which is, the mo that's a very interesting thing. And I've noticed this dynamic between parents and kids when I'm paying attention to the child. And then I'm paying attention to the thing the child says. And I'm always astounded by a child who is very articulate, who, who kind of gets a, uh, how to express their feelings, whatever it is in that moment, maybe doesn't understand it on like an, in an adult way. But then I can see they're manipulating their parent. Mm -hmm. And the parent is in such the la-la parent brain sometimes where they let the kid get away with it because that's my kid. And I go, that's my kid or I'm tired or I'm just, yes. I'm like, and this is why I think parenting is such a, like a, a big decision mm -hmm. because I'm like, you literally are creating something out of nothing and then dealing with what becomes of it, not only based off what you teach it, what it is already born, the world around it, and then what happens in the world. I, I can sit here and go, parents need to do this and fix it, but that's not really my intention. Yeah. It's more about the awareness, right? Like, I find it interesting because I'm like, you could do all this work. You can, you can go, I'm going to be this type of parent. And then. Oh yeah. Like, all I can plan to be as progressive as I want to be. And when you see me gripping up my son, like, won't you shut up and just getting mad at him in public because you just, you don't know how it's going to turn out. You don't know what your frustrations are going to be. You don't know if, you know, maybe you have a baby that's colicky. Maybe you have a kid that's stank in his teenage years and disrespectful in his adult years or whatever. So you don't know how it's going to turn out. All you can do is plan and hope for the best and be like, man, this is, this is going to be the attempt at a plan. This is the outline. But I can't promise you that this outline is going to result in the essay that I originally planned. 
But you know what's interesting? I, I don't, they say you should always show up as your best self in life. Mm-hmm. I think that when you have a kid, you're almost saying to the world, I have to be my best self with this person. Yeah. For like, this person, like, that, it's a different motivation. Like, you know, even, well, before the pandemic hit, I had been working out regularly still, and I still do, like, yoga and go on walks and stuff like that to keep, you know, my body moving. But I was working out with my trainer, and I was, like, I think I was in my second trimester, and he was, like, man, you are so, like, you're even more determined, like, now. And I said, yeah, because at some point, my son is going to be sitting in that corner watching me train. And if I'm pushing him to be his best, then I have to make sure I'm pushing myself to be my best for him. So that when he sees me, he doesn't see mommy slacking. He doesn't see mommy procrastinating or being weak. He sees me being as strong as I'm trying to get him to. And that's not to say that as a human being, I don't have moments of vulnerability or moments of weakness. He'll see that too. However, if I'm pushing him to do his very best, I can't expect any less of myself. And that does become a motivating factor, I think, for a lot of, for a lot of parents, even if it's just, even if it's just for the first one, if by the fifth one, you're like, look, it is how it is. You're going to see what you're going to see. But like, at least for the first one, it's always like, I'm going to be the best that I can possibly be for you. I think it's also like, I know that, um, there's a whole episode of, um, how I met your mother, uh, that talked about like people, uh, one of the characters, um, smoke cigarettes and they all smoke cigarettes, but that the Marshall character quit cigarettes the day his son was born. And it really becomes because we do have like a selfishness to us prior to children, right? Where you go, all I'm, all I'm really, who do I owe anything to but myself? But then that child comes and you go, I need to live as long as I can till they at least make it to adulthood. And so I can't do things that could take the, not even my life away, but their parents' away. Yeah. Well, even stuff like that, like you training harder is you taking care of your health in a different way. And it's not about being skinny. And no, it's just, he need me. He's yeah. going to need me. So when I need me and I'm going to need to be as strong as I possibly can for him physically, mentally, like I'm, I'm going to have a mommy schedule now. Yeah. Be aware of the, the changes that are going to happen. For my own mental health, I needed to step up my game workout-wise. And once he's born, I've already started formulating a plan for after he's born. But I think that that's just what comes along with the choice to be a parent, you know. I agree. I I mean, that's why I say it's not something that I I believe in myself to choose lightly. Yeah. It's a forever thing. I don't, I don't care what, like, I don't care if you end up not having the best relationship with your child, God forbid, not you, but anybody with their child in, as an, as an adult, it's still a forever thing. Because I believe when people say you're literally like, it's like your heart outside of your body. I truly believe that. And I go, I am the most emotional human being that I know personally. Imagínate if I had a child. Yeah. I, I would be freak. I would be so, I, my biggest thing would want to, um, control being a, a smother. Yeah. I believe who I am innately would be a smother. And so, I mean, yeah, if you're, if you're already in a like super emotional person and then you have a kid, like I could totally understand that being an issue. Like, yeah, I'm going to 
smother you because I just, I love you. You're a part, you're literally a part of me. Right. And so that's where I think people get confused with you're a part of me and you're mine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's much, a much more beautiful thing to look at it like you're a part of me. You're not me. I don't own you, but you are a part of me. You have part of me. You have part of your dad. You are a different human being made up of aspects of the both of us. And that's something I talk about with my husband constantly when it comes to our son, where it's like, you know, he's going to have his own wants, desires, his own thing, his own way of life. All we can do is try our best to lay a strong enough foundation so that when he's ready to do his own thing, he has the courage and he has the self-respect and he has the confidence to go out there and do it. And, you know, never come back to us like we didn't encourage him to be just that person. Right. Right. No, it's yo, true. some brilliant people, yo. We mad brilliant, son. Oh, I know. Or somebody ever, like, let us do, like, a, a coffee table book or something. <laughs> <laughs> Applause from the background, son. Oh, um, my God. That, that, that's the name of the coffee table book. Applause <laughs> in the background. Applause in the background by Catherine and Gina. You got to put son at the end of it. Son. Applause from the background, son. So do you want to get into this question? Um, yes, 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 absolutely. We'll go into the Dear Gina, which is very interesting. This is a hard one for me, but I think, um, Dear Gina, if you had to choose between being the most attractive person in the world or the smartest, which would you choose and why? Uh, damn, son, because, like, do I have to be smart and ugly? You ain't say I have to be smart and ugly, so. Is the most attractive? Yeah, if I'm smart and just regular, I'm good. I want to be the smartest person in the world. I'd rather be smart and regular and just live my life as a smart person. Cause, like, I love, what was that Brad uh, Bradley Cooper movie? Um, 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 no, no, I know what you, it's not drug. Damn it. Where he takes the drug and he's, like, dumb smart, which is my favorite option. Limitless. Limitless. Hey, look at you with the brain power. Uh, I would love, I loved that movie for that reason. I was like, yo, if there was a drug I could take and be dumb smart, like, I would take it every day. I would take it every day and be a genius. I'd rather be the smartest person or the most attractive because your looks can still fade. To me, it's like, if I'm smart, I'm smart forever. Well, you know, dementia. Yeah. You can still be smart with dementia. You just won't know what you're talking about with whom. But... (laughs) You're just going to forget that you've just made that point. Yeah. You can make a brilliant, you're just going to make the same brilliant point 75 times. Like, it's just, that's what's going to happen. You'll still be a brilliant person, but (laughs) stuck on repeat. (laughs) I, yeah, I think, but this is my personal preference. Like, I think that attractiveness is intelligence. So I'm going to remix this and say smart, but I'm going to say emotionally smart. Right? Not information emotional because i think that like smart is sometimes um quantified as like uh book smart yeah and, that's very true you know and not that not that i don't think that's important i just think that goes into like um what's this what our society um expects of us and then how we're going to make money and make a living and stuff like that right i think that emotional intelligence is more important to me so i would pick that because Emotion, I think that, and this is my brain, I think that the future we're going into is about hopefully having better mental health and understanding of the importance of mental health. Therefore, I would want to be 
smarter, emotionally smart than attractive, because I would think that would be an attractive trait. I feel like as time goes on, I'm going to be more attracted to people. Like I, I, I keep seeing memes that are like, I don't need to, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to ask you what you do for a living. I'm asking, are you working on your, um, your childhood trauma? Because I don't want that baggage. Like I, I will help, you know what I mean? I'll help you through it, but I'm not going to do it for you. Yeah. I don't care if you are the fry guy at McDonald's as long as you're doing work on yourself. Right. But I think but, emotional intelligence is really undervalued and it's also not really understood by a lot of people what emotional intelligence actually is. Right. And like, I would definitely say like, my husband's a very emotionally intelligent person. Yeah. Like he is, he is aware and he, he almost forces me to be more emotionally intelligent or more aware of my emotions because I can be a person that just runs solely on a lot of logic. And yeah. it's like, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but, and <laughs> I say that way too much. And so like, he teaches me a lot more about the, the tone and talking to people and how that can make people feel. And, you know, I like the fact that he's not afraid to tell me things like, you know, that tone of voice that you just used, like, made me feel a certain type of way. And I'm like, even if my initial reaction is a hard eye roll where I'm like, oh, you and your damn feelings. Like there's such a value to emotional intelligence that like people don't realize how important it is to have somebody in your corner that is emotionally intelligent. Cause yeah. there's so many differences in intelligence. This is something I talked about with my therapist before where it's like intelligence, yes, is often thought of as book smart. You know, and intelligence is a very attractive trait, but you have to understand what type of intelligence you're talking about because people don't differentiate. If I say somebody's intelligent, you assume that means this person is a cognitive, intelligent human being who has, is very book smart and is very learned. Yeah. But there's that type of intelligence of somebody who is genuinely intelligent, and then there is perceived intelligence which means I'm a person that can regurgitate information. I'm good at remembering things and I can regurgitate that to you, which makes you think I'm smart or intelligent because I remember things, but I just have a good memory. I don't have a cognitive understanding of people and situations enough to talk to somebody about them in a normal fashion. You know, people that, it's so funny because I see people with perceived intelligence all the time. And then I've met people with actual intelligence that I'm blown away by and perceived intelligence is like that person who went through a goth phase. It's like a mask that that person wears. It's like, I'm a very smart person. It's like, are you, are you, or do you want to be perceived as smart? So you put that out there because yeah. actual intelligent people are not worried about how they're perceived. They're not trying to be perceived as intelligent. They already know. Like, I'm an intelligent person. I just am. I put it out there. That's it. I'm not trying to be perceived that way. But perception is a big thing with human beings, which is why I think there are a lot of people that would probably choose attractive. Yeah. You know, it would make sense if somebody was like, oh, I, I want to be attractive because it didn't say I'd be attractive and a dumbass. If I'm attractive and a regular smart person, just like my thing was, it didn't say smart and ugly. I would rather be the smartest person or rather have some level of intelligence than just be attractive because that can fade. Right. Right. And, and you are correct. Being intelligent, it can be an attractive quality, whether it's emotional yeah. intelligence, 
whether it's book smarts, whether it's whatever, it can be an attractive quality. Well, you know how you just said um, you can be the fry guy at McDonald's? I would, I would even go so far to say, but an intelligent person emotionally and all of that, someone doing work on themselves would be able to tell me why they're choosing to be a fry guy at McDonald's. And see, so that's the thing. I'm not saying that intelligent people have to have these high paid, you know, like doctor, anything like that. No, I'm saying that intelligent people are looking at what makes them happy, what makes them get up in the morning and all of that. If what makes you get up in the morning is to go be a fry guy at McDonald's and you can literally sit here and I can understand how this fulfills your greatest purpose, who the hell am I to tell you that's beneath me or beneath yeah. you. Right now, mind you, if I choose that, uh, uh, there's another reason why I don't wanna see you, that's different. I think though, that a lot of people, like you said, um, it's about perception. Mm-hmm. So people assume if a person is a doctor, they're intelligent. A lot of doctors could just have really good memories. And that's, what I'm talking, that's exactly what I'm talking about. All it means is that person had a good memory, they did well on tests. It right. does not mean that person is intelligent. Depends on how you're measuring intelligence and are you aware of perceived intelligence or perceived confidence? Where you just want, and we all know people like that. We all know people that have false confidence because they're just like, they put it out there that they're confident people, but when you know them in their actual lives, you're like, you're the most insecure, unsure of yourself person I've ever met. But because you want to be perceived as confident, you put that out there. It's the same thing with intelligence. You can meet a doctor that as a human being is a complete dumbass, yeah. but as a doctor can remember everything and do well on tests and is great at surgeries. I was just talking about my last doctor's appointment. The doctor I saw is one of those doctors that is just, he is able to regurgitate information. He is neither personable, has no bedside manner. And I'm talking to him and I'm just like, I heard all these great things about him. I ended up going with another doctor at the office, but I had to see him last time I was there. And I was like, I just don't get why people say these wonderful things about you when you're clearly dismissive of the patient, you make no eye contact with the patient, you just regurgitate information. And then you're like, any questions? Okay, bye. Yes. It's just like, that's not somebody I want to spend hours with. Nope, nope, nope. And I think that that's why, for me, I think that um, it's important uh, uh, to differentiate, to know what's the difference. Between- that's the difference. Like the doctor I ended up going with was a doctor that the, immediately when I came into his office, he pulled himself away from the desk. He made eye contact with me. He talked to me. He smiled. He was joking. He was talking about his own experience as a parent, what I felt, asked me what I wanted. We had actual conversations. And I can tell this is not only is he a book smart person, not only is he a great doctor, but he's also just a smart person. He's just, he's emotionally smart when it comes to people. He realizes this is my first kid. He realizes that I have my fears. 
and my doubts about it. He also realizes how many questions I'm going to have, being that this is my first kid, as opposed to the other doctor who was very cold and uncaring, who had no emotional intelligence, which goes back to what you're saying. You should be more concerned, not only with just your intelligence as a human being, but your emotional intelligence, because the two going hand in hand make a beautiful marriage of things. Of like, not only you're a smart person, but you're a smart person that knows how to communicate. Like people like you and like my girlfriend, Sam, like are very emotionally intelligent and very intelligent, which just connects so beautifully because you understand and know how to talk to people about things that other people would struggle with. You know, what's very interesting. And I think this is going into um, attractiveness. The reason why a lot of people don't see that as attractive is because, um, because we don't live in a society that already has an established understanding of mental health and emotional intelligence and all of that as a strength, um, a lot of emotionally intelligent people are actually uh, insecure because they've been they've been put down for that emotional intelligence. They've been called things like annoying or you feel too much or you're too much, right? Or they've because, been weakness or it's yeah, right. And so a lot of and I think that gold plays into the idea of attractiveness. So then for, I can only speak from a woman's point of view, but I'm sure men can feel this way too. Uh, then you want to be attractive for your physical traits. Yeah. Right? Because you go, I know that my purpose, I don't feel there's something wrong with my person, but the world to- told me growing up, there's something wrong with my person. But that's mostly because the world is not set up for emotional like unpacking so it's like dig it all down and learn some facts and you know what i mean like can you back that up type of thing Uh, that's why i think that with using the example of a doctor um it's very important to have a doctor who knows what the hell they're talking about so photographic memory you know like that matters but it also matters that every situation is important so like when my mother had brain surgery it was really important to me to know that he knew what the hell he was doing, that he knew he, he had um, a, an extensive career and there was like, I can look that up. But then it was also important that when he walked into the room, we're all fucking terrified because you're going to open her skull. Yeah. And you are a, like, I don't want a robot to come in there and be like, don't worry, I'll get the job done. I know that sounds weird because yes, it's also asking a lot of him. When you are in the in the room, I need you to be not the robot, but the one who knows that job like it's the back of a tent. Show me that you oh. care, but show me that you know show me that you know what you're doing, but that you actually care about the patient too. Where it's right. not just you just going through the motions. Like and that's the exact example of those two doctors. One is going through the motions and the other one is like, No, I understand how terrifying this is. Right. And, so, and I, think, I think it's a bigger this is a question, and I think this is a question that we're dealing with in life right now in general, which is um, a question that examines society, right? What attractiveness means and what intelligence means. Yeah. And so in our society, attractiveness is mostly about fitting the mode of beauty. Mm-hmm. And intelligence is about fitting the mode of being a good student, studious and yeah. Kind of logical, because logical is also highly rewarded, right? We always confuse, and this is where it's like, teach your children like true intelligence, because what we teach, 
what we teach as intelligence, what we teach as being studious is just repetition. That's all it is. It's repetition, repetition. If you repeat what I'm saying, if you remember the word I made you write down 50 times in a notebook and you remember how to spell it, you are smart. Yeah. And that's all we ask for is this surface level of, oh, you remember that? You're really smart. No, you just have a good memory. All we're teaching a lot of kids is to regurgitate information instead of teaching them to formulate their own opinions, to formulate cognitive ideas about things, to understand not only words and how to spell them, the meaning of words, what words are impactful, what words are completely useless. We don't teach that stuff. Why it matters. Yeah, why it matters, what kind of language you use in what given situation. Like these are things that need to be taught that we're not taught. We're taught such surface level things. Right. But if you think about it, the reason is because if you aren't taught, if you are, if you teach somebody beyond the surface, then they will question the society. And that is why people want to change society when they start questioning the society. This, this is for a whole other, um, this is a whole other episode. Cause we'll we go have into to go yes. Cause we'll, we'll go into extra. That where we will go into that and society and everything because we could get into a million conspiracy theories and a million well, things. Even if not, like I've been reading um, Plato's Republic and just philosophical views and we can go into the construction of what societies mean and what they look like. So maybe we'll and do that. how societies have changed throughout the years and why they've changed. Right. The and what charged reasons that societies have changed and who was in control at the time right. definitely dictated the changes that were happening in society. Yeah, yeah. We could go into that. Put a pin in it and we'll come back to it with that. Cause I definitely think there's, there's something in there, but, yeah. uh, but, but it goes into what we've talked about with today, with parenting, with yeah. attractiveness, with all of it. It really does. I think, I think we killed this extra. <laughs> I feel like we, we gave y'all some, some stuff. Yeah, we was extra in the extra for you. So y'all got a little extra. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm, I mean, I don't think I have to do a regular send-off. This is extra for you people that already know us. So yeah. if you're watching this on Patreon, thank you for watching. Spread the word. Tell a friend. Um, yeah. Make sure to tell everybody about the podcast. And uh, yeah, I will we'll see y'all soon. You know, I will end it with my mom's advice, like I always do, because it means something to me to end it that way. You know, when life throws a lot at you, handle it one catastrophe at a time, people. Until next time. Bye. Say bye to the people, Catherine. Bye bye. Bye, people. Bye. Yeah, do it like that. Yeah. You the kind of chick that's ready to fight back. Yeah. Looks damn good, but really she type bad. Mm-hmm. Go to sleep, I call him a night cat. Born killer, you a born killer. Mm. Go on, get him. Go on, go on, get him. Mm.